this week on Dig Me Out. There's just a lot of a lot of missed opportunities on this record. Because there's not a lot that's bad, but there's not a lot that's great either. Tim and Jay review Psychic Hearts by Thurston Moore. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 197. 197 of season four of this podcast. We are inching ever so closely to number 200, the big 200. Excited about it? Oh, yeah. Really I can tame myself. I can tell by your pregnant. Are we pause talking about what that, we're doing uh, for that? Uh, we've mentioned it. Um, oh, okay, but uh, you know we've joked around that we're going to do "Use Your Illusion" one and two by Guns N' Roses. So uh, hell, we're going to do know it. What they say about <laughs> you know what they say about things you joke around with too much, right? Poke your eye out, kid. That's Something right. Like that. <laughs> Is that what oh, it is? They become a reality. Yeah, it's yeah, we got we got dared into it, and um, like the dumb kids we are, we accepted the dare. So we're gonna go uh track by track through uh usual illusion one and two. So if you've got four hours to spare, uh get ready. It's coming. We're only gonna spend thirty seconds on each song though. That's the thing. We each get thirty mm. seconds to make our make a point about each song and then we have to move on. And uh yeah, I don't know what it's going to be. And uh, we need to line up some special guests. Could you call Axel Rose and... <laughs> um, How do you spell that? Bucket, A-X-E-L or Bucket A-X-E-L? Head. Is he still in the band? Is that gentleman still in the band? Does he still play the guitar? Hmm. Chicken Or is it Chicken Foot? No, Bucket Head, Chicken Foot. Who's the guy? Didn't they have a chicken guy in there somewhere? Bumblefoot. Bumblefoot. Bumblefoot, chicken head. No, wait a minute. Buckethead. I'm getting confused. Who's the guy who plays with a KFC bucket on his head? That's Buckethead. That's Buckethead. Right? So what is does Bumblefoot play with Bumblebee slippers on? Is that what No, he is? plays a fretless uh double neck guitar. Which in Guns N' Roses should be it's just ridiculous. I don't understand what that is. What is a fretless double neck guitar? How do you have no frets on a guitar? It's a fretless how you, guitar. How do you know what necks. you're playing if there's no fret? I, That's dude, I anarchy. Don't you don't need to know. Who invented such a thing? You just feel it. You just feel it out. Oh, my God. People. Yeah. Let's not give up on frets just yet. I think we need them. I'm pretty sure the band did just fine with Les Pauls and uh, what, what, ES-335s or whatever they played Yeah. the first time around. I'm not quite sure why that instrument was needed to replicate the sound of a gold top less paul but whatever it's funny that you mentioned instruments jay because uh we're going to be discussing yeah. an artist that is connected to a particular instrument that's thurston moore mm-hmm. and he is connected to the fender jazz master uh he owns i guess quite a few of them last i heard it was like 50 jazz masters um mm-hmm. and if if you want to read about you can go on the internet and find out about how he got all those jazz masters i'm I'm going to tell you, he's not paying the current 
market value for those guitars because they're quite expensive. There's actually a Thurston Moore yeah. uh, Fender Jazzmaster model that you can buy, which is pretty cool. They also made a, Re- a Lee Ronaldo model um, recently, I think 2011 or 2012. There's also a Jay Massis model, which I, uh, I've been eyeballing recently. They're pretty cool. But uh, I think at the end of the show, I, this is sort of impromptu, maybe we should have a discussion about artists who are tied to particular instruments or particular guitars from the 90s. Can we do that? Mm. Is that possible? I uh, suppose we could riff on that. I... Just came to me. It's uh, it's becoming more than maybe there was. I don't know. I think there's a lot of them now. I think so, too. But I mentioned Thurston Moore. We're going to review his first solo album, uh, Psychic Hearts, from 1995. He's got a new record out called The Best Day. comes out, I believe, today. So uh, we figured this was the best day to do a, so- a Thurston Moore album. How about that? How's that segue pun at the same time? Uh, for those of you not familiar with Thurston Moore, let's do a little history of the band. History of the band. So Thurston Moore was born in Coral Gables, Florida in 1958, but he was raised in Bethel, Connecticut. He enrolled at Western Connecticut State University, uh, but ended up not going to college and instead moved to New York City to join the early uh, post-punk, no-wave, whatever you want to call it, scene that was going on there. So he was briefly in a hardcore punk band called Even Worse with a gentleman named Jack Rabbit, who would go on to start the Big Takeover magazine. He joined Lee Ronaldo in uh, Glenn Branca's guitar orchestra, learning experimental techniques. And those two would cross paths, cross path uh, years later. Um, he originally formed Sonic Youth, although they'd played under different names before that, with Kim Gordon in 1981. And in June of that year, they played a noise fest, which uh, Glenn Branca's guitar ensemble was playing and it included Lee Ronaldo. So after the two bands played their respective sets, uh, Thurston Moore said to Lee Ronaldo, Hey, why don't you join our band? And he did. And I'm not going to go into the whole history of Sonic Youth because that's quite a long history, but let's just say between 1981 and 2011, which is 30 years, 31 years, um, Sonic Youth released 15 albums and made a, dov- a number of different drummers and additional musicians, guitar players. Sometimes they're up to three guitar players. Um, and then outside of uh, Sonic Youth at, during that time, I mentioned that uh, Thurston Moore released his first solo album in 1995, then um, his second, Trees Outside the Academy in 2007, Demolished Thoughts in 2011, and then the new one, The Best Day in 2014. And he's worked with a number of musicians outside of Sonic Youth, such as Yoko Ono, Richard Hell, and Robert Quine, or Quinn of the Voivods, or Voidoids, excuse me, Uh, DJ Spooky, Nels Klein, before he was with Wilco, R.E.M., Mike Watt, and many, many other uh, musicians. And then Sonic Youth themselves put out not just those albums, but they put out a number of experimental releases on indie labels and EPs and singles and whatnot so there's quite a bit of history or in the, the uh, thurston moore discography to check out 
So that's it. That's the history of Thurston Moore. If you would like to suggest an album for us to review, please visit our request to review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Uh, as we recorded this episode, we did not have any Facebook feedback to pass along. So we're going to just skip that part and jump right into the review. Or actually, before we do that, Jay, um, Thurston Moore, Sonic Youth. Do you own any Sonic Youth albums? I don't. Only familiar with the band in terms of, you know, an occasional video or some sort of song heard something. You know what I mean? Just peripheral. Gotcha. Never spent any time with them. No albums. Is that just, did did things not rub you the right way or was it just a band that you just never got around to? I, I don't know. I say it didn't, it just didn't interest me, I guess. Gotcha. You know, I don't know. There's a lot of bands like that. Just maybe didn't think I'd get it or, you know, just, just didn't appeal to me some for some way. Sonic Youth was always one of those bands that obviously got mentioned during the 90s as being an influence on a lot of alternative rock in the 90s. So, and working at the radio station, we got, I think the first album that I remember getting was Washing Machine was the name of the uh, Sonic Youth album. And it had a song called The Diamond Sea that we played um, and some other songs. And I remember playing this album at the studio. And then I don't really remember being into Sonic Youth. And then they put out an album in the 2000s. Um, can't remember the title of it right now. Um, might have been The Nurse or something like that. But uh, there was a couple songs that I, I dug um, off that one. And I've, I've kind of, in bits and pieces, gone back and checked out various records. I remembered the, there was a video for 100% off of the Dirty album, which was their major label uh, release for DGC. I think their first one or, or, or one of the early ones. And uh, I think that was the album that had like, it was the first time they were writing like concise songs. And um, I've, they're a band that they'll pop up on Sirius XM lithium channel. And, you know, an individual song here or there will pop up and I'll be like, Oh, this is cool. But I've never been like, I need to go dive into all the records right away. I'm kind of with you where I've like, if it's on, it's on, but I'm not necessarily, dying to uh check out other stuff so it'll be interesting yeah. to talk about uh this record and what we think of it uh what uh, worked for us and what did not work for thurston moore's debut solo release psychic hearts from 1995 let's get into it jay tell me something yes i can hear you get firing up there tell me something that no. worked for you just took a breath home I, th- um, I thought you were getting, you were getting loaded in the cannon there from some some <laughs> feedback <laughs> putting one in the chamber put one in the chamber um something that worked for me i i guess the gu- the guitar playing in some ways is, isn't exactly what i expected although it doesn't mean uh i still didn't like aspects of it i think the record starts off with a couple of very interesting takes on guitar riffs. Um, they're sort of like more like guitar lines that mix major minor chord or major minor sort of scale in an interesting way. So you kind of get this cool, like, I don't know, it feels indie and upbeat, 
but then also kind of take a dark twist all within the same kind of riff. Mm-hmm. Um, I dig that. And those pop out here and there on the record um, from time to time. There's also some cool, like, fractured riff ideas that are pretty interesting, like locked up with drums and kind of frayed and rusty sounding and chopped up um, that are kind of cool. And there's some pretty interesting effects as well on the guitar. Um, There's a couple spots in it where, I don't know, he's doing like this it sounds like lasers or something like do 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 like <laughs> rapid outer space laser sounds um in a couple of songs i kind of expected that sort of thing mm-hmm. um in terms of like experimenting with effects and pushing the boundaries there so that was kind of cool to hear i guess that's the part of the record that i enjoyed the most how about you in terms of uh of what i liked I also agree with the guitar. I liked. I I think the main thing that I liked is from listening to, you know, sampling various albums over the years, um, and and trying to you know get a little beyond just a single or two. Um, there were a lot of albums where I just had I could not connect with them at all, um, and I mentioned that there were some stuff in the later years that I, I liked, and I I think that the thing that I like most about this is he's not trying to replicate Sonic Youth. He's clearly writing more concise, shorter, I, I want to say his version of pop songs um, in mm. that uh, aside from two tracks, you're looking at everything is under four minutes out of the first 13 songs, 14 songs. Um, there's clear attempt at writing con- more concise, you know, not seven and eight minute long weird freak out jams and you know he does a lot of stuff with alternate tunings and i think that's what you're talking about with these weird sort of major and minor things you know butting up against each other um Mm -hmm. i I like you know you know a lot of times i would listen to the songs i wouldn't hear the vocals as clearly as i do on this record so there's a clear attempt at writing i don't want to say pop pop is the wrong word but just a cleaner record a cleaner sound and i'm able to hear all of everything that he's doing on the guitar, which when you have three guitars player players playing sometimes you don't really pick up on what each guitar player is doing. It's just this massive guitar, um, Mm. you know, swirling around. So I'm able to like hear all these like weird chord phrasings and fingerings. And sometimes he gets a little repetitive. Uh, He, he can drive a riff into the ground, but usually whatever he's driving into the ground is something that I haven't heard before. I, I don't know that he plays like a normal chord that you and I would think of as like, you know, like a bar G or something like that on this record at all. Mm-hmm. Like these all sound like invented riffs and invented chords. Um, and in a lot of instances, like on songs like Patty Smith, Math Scratch or um, Feathers or Staring Statues, he's able to take the slight weirdness and energy of some of that Sonic Youth stuff. And then, you know, like I said, create this almost like pop in an alternate universe sort of sound.
those songs blend his weird guitar stuff but put his vocals high enough in the mix that you can actually hear the melody of what he's singing it creates just these kind of weird interesting short little pop rock songs i think those three that i mentioned the, the times are like 243 220 and 234 which works for me on in this element it's interesting you bring up the um the more concise or cleaner version um or attempt to write in that way i didn't know how to evaluate that necessarily because i'm not familiar enough with sonic youth other than like i said more more reputation than anything i've heard Mm -hmm. things here and there but it's mostly based on a reputation so i wasn't sure if like this was pretty close to what they would do or not um obviously it sounds like it isn't so my take on it was actually pretty similar to yours i guess i definitely did hear and it's somebody attempting to write in a more pop format um, yeah, that's the way I interpreted it. Um, I just, I didn't know if I was interpreting correctly, which I th- apparently I was. Um, I, I would be a little, I don't know. I was a little more uh, disappointed by that, I guess, than I thought I would be. Normally, I like that um, approach by artists who tend to be experimental. You know, I like to hear when they spend time exploring the limits, and then they take a break from that and they try to figure out how to make that more mainstream that usually appeals to me for some reason in this instance it it seemed i don't know maybe half-hearted like or not fully committed to it or uh, just not resolved you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it didn't quite go far enough for me to be worth it so it's kind of a lot of the record for me kind of sits in this weird middle ground where it's attempting to be that uh, more mainstream but it still has um an approach that instead of it coming off as like like experimental flourishes or phrasings or it kind of sounds a little like amateurish <laughs> instead of being hmm. the, like the mix of the two um i actually like on the record where it probably i think the the first two songs on the record seem to, for me to be the most like successful in terms of being more like just an alternative rock band not taking the experimental part out and i was down with that of the middle of the record i think it was in it falls into a lot of um i don't know this middle territory that's not quite resolved and then you get to a song like feather track nine and it sort of has a 
has a chord progression that's you know and, and a vocal that's indie rockish but then it does this cool thing where it goes into this um this build that incorporate in the, in the build lasts i don't know a minute or so and it incorporates the riff the verse you know progression back in at times and it, it just gets a little bit more like experimental in terms of using things that were seemingly familiar and then kind of deconstructing them and putting them back together and resolving it um and I kind of I, that made sense to me in terms of if you're going to do, you know, experimental artist tries mainstream, that was a way to make that all work, and that kind of made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tranquilizer was another track where it's more just focused on the guitars, like the vocal just gets out of the way. Um, it's in there, but it's not like a focal point of the song of the of the song. described earlier it's it's a riff that's like kind of broken and taped together again it's Mm -hmm. it sounds like uh and it emerges out of this weird intro thing and it's just to you just appreciate the instrumentation um and the breakdowns and and what's going on with the playing and and uh so that worked for me too so i found a lot of it like i said to be in this middle ground that was just not satisfying um it also reminded me, I don't know, for some reason, I kept thinking of Nirvana when I listened to this record, especially, especially Kurt Cobain. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I've just, I'm f- familiar with him being a fan of this band and, and, and of this artist, but I don't know. I just kept hearing like little, especially early on in the record, just little things here and there, little notes or phrases or ways of playing that just kept reminding me of them especially like the in in utero era where they're Mm -hmm. um less punk and more like dark right and also more like i don't know that was around like the acoustic album era too where it started to get like they showed this like weird folky kind of aspect of them too that still was also very dark um unless of like the early era of the band which was just more pure energy. Right. Um, that era of, of Nirvana came out to me. Um, I don't know if that era of Nirvana is kind of inspired by uh, Thurston Moore and uh, Sonic Youth or, or what, but there was something in this record that I kept thinking of them. Did, am I alone in that? No, and it, honestly, 
it, it really makes me think about the fact that how much better of a of a songwriter in the in the pop sense that Kurt Cobain was. Like if if you had just given him these music beds and taken the vocal out, mm-hmm. I would have loved to what he, hear what he could have done with this vocally. I think he would have come up with mm-hmm. some really cool melodies and some really cool lyrics that I think that that's always been my detachment from Sonic Youth is that I don't find Thurston Moore to be a very interesting, I guess the word is melodicist, or I don't know if that's what it is, but I don't like, I never find myself humming along to any of his melodies. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he kind of plays around with the way he delivers his vocal on this, you know, Queen Bee and her pails has a totally different vocal delivery than, uh, you know, Cherry's Blues or something. But lot, melodically, it's it's landlocked to the um, to the riff to the yeah, and that's part. what happens a lot right. with him is he he lock, he's either doing like a complete lock in with the riff, or he's doing like sort of a breathy vocal over top of it, and like it's sort of floating on top. Yeah. A lot of the times when he gets locked in to a riff, he never gets out of it for any sort of a chorus. And I think that was the one mm-hmm. of the letdowns for me is that there's these almost all these songs start out with something really cool. And aside from the mm-hmm. you know the instrumentals that are on the record, I, I was just like, oh, I can't wait to hear the chorus. And almost none of the time does it deliver. You almost stay mm-hmm. into the locked into that whatever that vocal is for almost the entire song. I mean, there are entire songs where like psychic hearts, I think it's two chords and it doesn't change. And while that can be cool, if you do a really interesting vocal on top, I don't, he doesn't pull it off and maybe he needs those collaborators to help him pull that off. Mm -hmm. But there's just a lot of, a lot of missed opportunities on this record because there's not a lot that's bad. But there's not a lot that's great either. And mm-hmm. from uh, artists who are considered, you know, pretty, pretty important in the in the alternative rock, you know, annals. This is it's a little yeah. bit of a letdown. Yeah, I guess to um, to build on that and tie it back to some of the points I was making about that the section of the record, like Psychic Hearts and and on. But, all those songs grab me when they start. You know, there's something interesting there. My expectation, I guess, is that they're either going to stick to, like you're saying, like pay off with a chorus of some kind or just be really weird. Like mm-hmm. go to places I didn't expect. And they don't do either of those two things. And ultimately, 
I don't know, to me, and I'll speak for you, but ultimately they end up being boring, <laughs> which is yeah. the worst possible, you know. Uh, I would rather have them be, like, so odd that I'm just like, what is that? Like, what is? why did they do that? That's so strange. It's more of just like, oh, okay, well, I kind of saw that coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, or they've been playing this for a while. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of where I was thrown. I, I yeah. didn't expect, I, I, I guess I didn't ex- I expected to be challenged by somebody from Sonic Youth in terms of, you know, what I like and, and, you know, to do things that maybe were ugly and, or sonically, you know, or, or from a note standpoint, challenging didn't quite make sense or whatever, but, or rhythmically time signature or something, but to be bored, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I think what you're getting at is is why I find like a song like Staring Statues to be successful. I think that's the song that has like you mentioned the, the laser <laughs> sounding guitar riff thing that he's doing. It's, it's weird and it's unexpected and he's playing you know he played since this was a solo record he did all the guitar and all the bass by himself and I think there's uh, some additional guitar by a guy named Tim Folgen but I don't know which songs he played on but when there's clearly a second guitar doing something weird that's where it becomes a little bit more interesting but I'm sure he wanted to steer clear of that on a lot of it, so you it know didn't funny about, necessarily tie back to Sonic Youth. You know what's funny about that song and the song after it, Cindy Rotten Tanks, hmm. is I, I think those two songs like go together. Yeah, they're, he's like vocally in the same area, and just, there's something about them that, that make them fit together really well. Um, they kind of sound like Fu Manchu songs without the big riffs. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Yeah, especially like the Cindy Rotten took... Tanks does that. It's got that like plotting. Yeah, yeah. I know you what took you're the talking big about. fuzzy guitars out of Fu Manchu, and you just had the singer like working with like an indie band or something, or like a you know what I mean, and like didn't didn't allow him to use distortion or what have you, tune down or turn down the volume. It kind of reminded me of that.
in some ways I was like, oh, okay, this is like kind of works for me. In other ways, I'm like, wait a minute. This is like Fu Manchu without the big fuzzy riffs. What good is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Kiss without the makeup. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, we don't need to go there. Or Van Halen without the finger tapping. Right, exactly. There you go. Uh, let me ask you this. Track 15. Elegy yeah. for all the dead rock stars. So... 20 minutes long. Yeah. You know, without that song uh what are we looking at we're looking at a 47 minute album 14 songs 47 minutes that's not bad but you throw that <sighs> on there you're at 67 minutes yeah can you even judge that song Which... on its own considering how long it is or does it just muddle yeah. the end of the record so much it just muddles it and, and uh, especially i was a little annoyed that I don't know, again, tying to my Nirvana reference and, like, didn't this record come out, like, the year after Kurt Cobain died or something? Or uh, it, yeah, I would have, well, when did Cobain die? 94? 93? Can't remember now. Wow, I'm old. So this came out in 95. So, based on what this out, what song's titled, I'm, like, going into this thinking, oh, well, maybe this will be, like, really heavy. Like, not heavy, like, metal, like, but just, like, Emotionally and contemplative, emotional, and yeah. And it's three minutes of like banging on a chord. And then they kind of go into this broken, weird thing. And then they bang on the chord again. And the whole end of the song is just like weird noise. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, what a letdown. I mean, based on the elegy for all dead rock stars is the title of the song. You're like, oh, wow, okay. This, this, should, be, this should be something worth listening to. If you know, so we set aside the twenty minutes, and then uh, it's really not. It's kind of a it's a huge letdown. And then when you combine it in with the record, it's just a killer. Um, I mean, you're at fourteen songs for the record. I mean, some of these are two minute songs, but uh, fourteen songs, and like you said, it's forty seven minutes. That's plenty long. Yeah, I don't know what you're thinking putting a twenty minute song at the end. You got space to fill. <sighs> That's why it's the CDs. Uh, yeah, it's it doesn't the, uh, belong on here at all. It does. It's just it's a waste of it's a waste of space, and it could have been its own single that they could have released or EP or something like that. It just it just has no purpose on here because it doesn't even fit with sort of the ideology of the rest of the record, which is these short, concise, sort of right. tossed off riffs and and little rockers that sometimes go somewhere sometimes don't and then it just like a, you hit a brick wall at the end of the yeah. record and so. i kept playing this album on on random and it would it seem like it played just constantly i kept going to the song like <laughs> like a mosquito was just a, a, attracted <laughs> to it it's like just get off this song <sighs> i should have removed it from the playlist <laughs> the album <in. laughs> And here's the thing, if you're going to do the, you know, quiet, loud, quiet thing, um, Explosions in the Sky does it better than that song. They do yeah, whole that's albums the of kind it of better. thing I was, yeah, that's the kind of thing I was expecting to get into with a song. It's 20 minutes long and has that title and, and the reputation of the artist, you know, making it. I thought I was going to get into something like that, like 
some freak out or, or orchestration on like you know fuzz pedals and electric guitars and drums but it's not that at all no let's talk about our overall rating on this record jay were the album better ep or decent single where do you land i could be kind and say ep but i'm not gonna be i'm in a grumpy mood i'm gonna say a single well i mean for me i think it's uh it's you know pick one song off of here some of the ones i mentioned and i'd be cool hearing that and and not really be that that curious to uh to go any further I'm going to disagree. I'm going to take this up to an EP. I think there's four solid tracks that I think could go on an EP. I would take Patty Smith, Math, Scratch, Feathers, Staring Statues, and Cindy, Rotten Tanks. I'd put them on an EP. Um, the rest of the stuff is okay. Um, I think that they could all use just a little bit more time. I think some of them sound undercooked. And maybe that's the way he wanted to do it. That's fine, but it doesn't necessarily work for me. So uh, we have a little bit of disagreement. We're both not thrilled with this record. Jay's a little bit tougher on it. And uh, there you go. I think I think the the vocal is it ends up killing it for me. I actually yeah. probably would like the record better if they just didn't want to put a vocal on it. I, it's not necessary. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned at the top Jay about guitar players in the '90s, and I mentioned that you know Thurston Moore is a known jazz master aficionado. And I was trying to think of other musicians from the 90s who are sort of tied to specific guitars, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially the gu- guitar bands. So Billy Corgan, is does Billy Corgan really tie to it? I know I've seen him play a Fender Strat a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know if he exclusively plays a Strat. That's what uh, I bet he has a, let me see. I bet he has a version of the Strat that's his. He has a Billy Corgan Fender Strat. It's funny, and all of them, they come up, you know, it's got the real pickups. Fender Lace or something. Some hotter pickup, probably. Yeah, DiMarzio pickups in it. Yeah, I would associate that with him. Johnny Amar played a Jaguar. He's one of the few people that yeah. played Jaguar. Um, you know, Jay Mass he has his own jazz master. He's obviously tied to that mm-hmm. instrument. Um, and then Kevin Shields from My Bloody Valentine is a, is a famous jazz master aficionado as well. It's on the cover of their most famous album, Loveless. So that's obviously the whole shoegaze instrument influ- or, uh, movement is a lot of it is tied to the jazz master because of the tremolo. And that guitar was readily right. available for a lot of musicians at that time. Um, but bands like, you know, Pearl Jam is another guitar band from that era. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I don't necessarily think of Mike McCready or, or those guys having specific guitars that they played all the time. I think they probably, you know, they, there was Les Pauls, there were Telecasters, Stratocasters, you know, lots of... Yeah, tech. they played just about anything. Yeah. I think it more depended on the Kirk song. Kurt Cobain played... Uh, what was Kurt Cobain's? Was it a Strat? Or no, he played it, a Jag. Uh, well, he played a... They had a Jag Stang after they they made for him. Yeah. Which was a Mustang and a Jaguar. Yeah, that was the guitar. And now Dave Grohl has his own guitar, which is a it's a hollow body guitar with a strat neck, I think. Right. It's, yeah, it's I don't know is it a three thirty five or something like that? I'm not sure exactly what the guitar is. 
It's like his own custom. Yeah, that's the shape. Yeah, but it's so. But I could I couldn't think of like you know, El, guy from El, uh, Jerry Cantrell. I don't think of him as yeah, being. Yeah, he's. Uh, is no, he, a, he has a. It's a uh, Charvel, I think. It's like oh. an '80s metal guitar. That uh, had one humbucker in the bridge, and he had modified a great deal. And he always used a blocking tremolo. And I mean, he comes from that. That everybody in the band came from that scene, like the you know the more the '80s metal scene. So all their instruments and stuff were basically from that era. I'd been modified to do other things and have other sounds and stuff. But yeah, he's got that one signature guitar that I think he either still plays it or he has one that looks like it. It's got like a weird, it's like a cream color and it's got like a pattern painted on it. It doesn't seem like guitarists from back then or in the 90s were as tied to a particular instrument overall as, say, you know, some of the classic guitar gods, you know, Hendrix, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton. Although Clapton started out playing an SG and then he switched um, to Fender after that. He wasn't necessarily known. I think on the Jerry Cantrell thing, G&L makes the guitar now. Like, he has his own signature G&L guitar, but I want to say the original was a... Maybe it was a G&L. Gotcha. Looking at some photos, but, uh, yeah. Do you think that that's coming back now? I mean, with guys like Jack White? Well, I definitely think you associate it more now than probably we did at the time, because it's such a huge marketing thing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, for those guys to get deals um, is huge. They all want to do it, and then... It seems like the manufacturers really want to, you know, it's another outlet for them to market the guitar. So it seems like almost everybody has a signature guitar now that you can buy. I mean, even guys that are like marginally known. Right. Um, or they're endorsed. Guitars and, yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, I'm surprised how many of them actually have a particular model that their name is on that you can buy. You know what I mean? Um, so there's that association that's being created. You know, it's more visible now and then and then once those artists you know do that they're sort of for their own marketing purposes they tend to use the guitar more <laughs> you know it's like they don't it'd be kind of dumb to be switching around all the time when you're trying to when you get a cut of all the guitars that are sold because your name's on it so there's definitely a tendency to do that more um or at least be visible about it and to identify it at the time i'm trying to think at the time if i like I kind of realized it. I remember like, I remember when the pumpkins came out, like playing around with, you know, heavy strat sounds and heavy Marshall sounds and, you know, trying to think about that as mm-hmm. a, you know, as a guitar player and the different, like the early phases of Pearl Jam, you know, with, the, with the, more of the Les Paul classic sound and obviously the Nirvana, you know, kind of using, brought, bringing like the idea of using like, pawn shop guitar you know what i mean like hand me down right instruments and you know making cool sounds with that i had a jaguar as a kid and when they were not <laughs> cool in any way so it was, for me it was kind of cool to see artists starting to use the jazz master and the jaguar again do you still have that guitar because i got one yep i have a yeah 70s jaguar that obviously when i was in the 80s and <laughs> you know playing guitar it was not cool to have a a Jaguar, but no. then in the 90s became kind of cool again, so I appreciated that. So I noticed anybody who was playing the Jazzmaster at Jaguar just because of the 
I was familiar with the shape and right. always looking for people. And there's so many more manufacturers now. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. There's way more opportunities for artists to you know, have their own signature guitar and kind of own it. Not very many Flying Vs in the 90s. Uh, Lenny Kravitz. That's the only one I can think of. Yeah. That's about it. He was the only guy. He was doing it retro style. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of uh, people who strayed away in the '90s from those like sort of standard models of Telecaster, Stratocaster, Les Paul, SG. Although uh, Greg Dooley was known in the '90s, he was playing that black Tele, uh, and then in the, recently mm. he's moved to a hollow body um, in the last couple of years. So, but he was he was playing that Tele for a long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of like uh, some of the other bands we like. I pay attention to a lot, like Catherine Wheel. I don't, I don't know what they played. Strat, Strat I guess. And... Yeah, those guys played Strats. Yeah. There's a good website if you ever want to check it out. Uh, you can find out a lot about guitar players from different eras. GuitarGeek.com. It gives you. Uh, you can look people up. Doesn't have everybody, but you can look up bands or individual musicians, uh, guitarists, and uh, see what their not only what their guitar was, but their whole rig. So you can see what amps they were using, what pedals, how they had it, what their chain was in terms of how the pedals were set up and if they had different, um, you know, like I'll give you an example. Adam Franklin from Swerve Driver is known for Jazz Masters, and he ran two different amps on stage, and he had a switch between the two amps. So if he was playing certain songs, mm-hmm. he's playing through a, a Marshall stack, and then in other songs, he would play through a Vox AC30. And then uh, the, you got to look the one for um, Jay Masters is insane. He has like six different cabinets all hooked up at one time. I'm seeing 96. Is that the one you're looking at? I don't know which one, what, what era it's from, but he has. He just had an insane amount of amps and pedals and everything. Just so many different lines going to different places. It's like, I don't even know how, how, you, I don't even yeah. know how you get to that point where you're like, this is my setup. Like It must take two hours to get that thing set up every time you have to play. Well, obviously, he's not setting this shit up. Right. Yeah, that's why you hire people to do this stuff. Exactly. <laughs> but then it's awesome to see, like, I mean, seriously, Angus Young is, he plugs an SG into a Marshall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. You know what I mean? Like, that's honestly all he does. Everybody is always, you know, he's got the, I I think, probably he, um, the two, um, he and, and Malcolm have some of the best tone that's ever been recorded. And that's it. So that's why I play an SG. Baby. A lot of that, yeah. A lot of that has to do with your technique. I mean, tone has as much to do with your your hands as it does the stuff you're yeah, using. But absolutely, it is funny to to browse a site like this where it gets insane. You can totally geek out on what some of these guys put together, and then you go to others and you're like, "Wow, that's that's seriously it." Like. And then you'll have guys like, yeah, I put a real strip back. And you look at what they're using. You're like, that's not strip back, dude. <laughs> like, you're still using five effects and two amps. And that's not, I didn't yeah. know the site was still around. Still going. This has been around since like the late 90s, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, if if you have a, a musician that you'd like to mention, a guitarist, bass player, whatever, that uh, you think uh, has an interesting tie to an instrument from the 90s, you know, comment on it. And uh, if you like what you heard, leave us some positive feedback over at iTunes. 
197 is in the books. It only means uh, one thing. 198 is coming up next. It means we're three away. 198, 199, 200, three away. Get ready for it, folks. Get your get limber because it's coming. All right, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. Back next week with another episode. So dig me out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.